It's been awful, honestly. It's been really annoying. Um, some of my best friends are in a different class, so I can't talk to them, and that's really annoying. I can, like, text some of my friends, but it's not like even going into Google Classroom and going on to Google Meet, but um, I miss all my friends, and um, some of my friends don't have Google, some of my friends, not Google Meet, I mean, some of my friends don't have Messenger, Kids Messenger. So I can only talk to one of my best friends through Kids Messenger, and um, yeah, the rest I'm texting, and I can barely even remember what they look like. Like, sure, I have their picture, but people can change in a while. Hi, this is David Goodfriend, and you're listening to the Goodfriend Group Podcast. President Harry Truman used to say, If you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. But in this case, if you want a good friend in Washington, you've come to the right place. I talk to people from technology, telecommunications, and media. These are my good friends, and now they're here to talk to you. That was my nephew, Noah Goodfriend, 11 years old, talking about education in the age of coronavirus. And now, on this episode of the Good Friend Group podcast, we'll talk to my good friend, Dr. Nicole Turner-Lee of the Brookings Institution, about that exact topic and what it means. Hi, dear Dave. This is um, Noah. Hey, Noah. How's it going? Fine. Yeah, I'm good. And what's it like to take classes over the computer? It's annoying, honestly. Why? Just because not everybody has great connection, and when the teacher doesn't have great Wi-Fi connection, she glitches, and then you can't get in on anything. You can't get any work done. It's like you're confused, and then you're... Then if your parents come to help you with the work, they're confused because they ask you what's the lesson, but then you're like, I can't really remember because my teacher glitched, and yeah. So, Nicole Turnerly, how are you? I'm good. I'm so busy, but I'm good. <laughs> I'm like, I just sit, like, I just sit at my desk every day for like five minutes and I just look at it because <laughs> I'm like I don't know where to start <laughs> it's like well, between the kids and the, my book and work I don't know what to do <laughs> how, many, how many kids you have at home with you two a 13 year old and a 17 year old so my son wow. just told me that school is ending next week or something like that so he's graduating so he's uh fortunately got he's going he picked his college so we know exactly where he's going. Um, he going? He's going to land up at uh, College of William and Mary. Oh, beautiful yeah. campus. Wow. Yeah. He, um, you have written and talked a lot about education. It seems like we obviously have a gap in broadband accessibility, and it's worsening the homework gap, and I want to ask you about that. But it also seems like this has called into question whether education online is the same product is it the same thing well you know i think think part of the challenge if i can kind of go back to david and thanks for having me on 
we go way back. <laughs> um, yes, we you do. Know, I think what we saw <laughs> with the uh, coronavirus outbreak and what students essentially had to do or schools had to do is they had to address, I think, this issue that they weren't quite prepared for, which is not the distance learning side of it in terms of the instructional content, but they had to address the side of remote access and what school is really thinking beyond their facility walls to sort of think about the type of uh, broadband access that exists within the surrounding community. And so I think to your point, um, you know, Fairfax County where my kids actually go to school just was written up in the Washington Post for not having enough content for students with special needs or uh, with, and so, right. you know, the, in, in many respects, you know, I know the county struggled in terms of its moral compass as to whether or not to go fully remote because of the large size of the district, 189,000 students that span from Northern Virginia out to some of the more rural areas and rural parts of the state. But, you know, the people who are probably most affected when it comes to content are kids that have the need for some type of additional support when setting it up or may actually have like autism or uh, have a, 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 a sight impairment or hearing impairment. I mean, how is it that they were able to sort of get online? I mean, I know our, my kids were getting notices about, you know, a full nine to three day back to back with a lunch break and, you know, several updates to, um, you know, content boards. How do you manage that, you know, when you have a special needs kid? And I have to honestly say, David, that's where I think the schools really struggled when it came to content. I think there's so many uh, prepackaged yeah. uh, tools you know, obviously data security became another issue with several using Zoom, but for the most part, you know, it was catering and customizing by grade levels, by abilities, <laughs> um, by where kids were in the curricula, you know, all of that mattered. And, uh, you know, we clearly demonstrated during this pandemic that we have a bigger issue to work on when it comes to access. Noah. What do you think it's like for kids who don't have any internet? They're not in school, but they also don't have any internet at home. That's probably awful because they're trapped at home. They um probably bored to hell um, because they can't go out to parks. They can't do really anything. They can, like, sure, play inside, but... That still, that can get boring after a while, and um, then not being able to do school, you're going to get bad grades, and um, you might have to redo that grade. Like, if you um, couldn't do your fifth grade year because you didn't have any electronics, you'll have to redo your fifth grade year. Yeah. Yeah, it's not very fair, is it? You think that the House bill that passed uh, last week, this is the HEROES Act that allocated more money to E-rate, more money to Lifeline, uh, created vouchers, $50, up to $50 a month. Do you think that that is adequate? Do you think if that became law, that would address the lack of access? Um, I think to a certain part it will because of the fact that many schools were in need of resources. But I'm writing a piece on this because I think the ultimate challenge 
going forward will not be the money, but it will be the organization, right? And the planning by institutions to adapt to this new economy. Mm. And so I think we can, this is not, you know, the digital divide is not a new issue that just happened with COVID-19. This is an issue, right? I mean, this is like a 20 plus year issue. Um, Ever since our friend Larry Irvin talked about it years ago when he was at the Commerce Department under Ron Brown, this is not something that just happened overnight. Um, And so I think what the members of Congress are sort of catching up on is that broadband access should be uh, available to communities and people. But I think we have had these particular funding bodies in place for quite some time. And don't get me wrong, it will necessitate uh, the ability of school districts to do creative things and to get devices into the homes of families. But what it doesn't necessarily address is the fact is we have huge inequities that exist that are layered on top of not having broadband access. And the extent to which schools sort of think about the future of innovation. And like I always tell, I've been talking to a lot of superintendents and I keep saying to them, you have the instructional and the professional development side down. Now you need to do an inventory and a mapping of what's in your community to help create better bridges between the schools and libraries and library, you know what I mean? And and churches and community-based organizations and households, even understanding what households have so that you have the agility to be able to service your youth, you know, within the classroom and outside of the classroom. So I would just suggest to educational uh, leaders that this is the time to sort of reimagine education and not just reimagine it from like the curricular side of it, but to reimagine like, what is the classroom? Where is the classroom located? How do you engage students to become more uh, families so they're more resilient when these types of issues happen. 20 years ago, it was a guy by the name of Nicholas Negroponte out of MIT and my former colleague who used mm-hmm. to talk about every textbook should be replaced with a laptop. Now, fast forward, we don't even have as many laptops as we have tablets and smartphones, right? But the, but the mm-hmm. main message behind mm-hmm. that is, you know, the new tools of the 21st century require digital competency. And so we have to do a better job of getting educational leaders to sit down with tech leaders, not just their procurement suppliers, but tech leaders, sociologists, and others to start reimagining how you actually build in remote access into traditional um, uh, educational approaches. We are in the realm of uh, tech and telecom, and that is both a a health issue, but also it's really an economic issue. And there are a lot of people of all races. I mean, this is the thing that really binds us. The people, if you make less than $100,000 a year, uh, or if you're one of those 30 million people who's unemployed right now, it doesn't matter what color you are. Uh, is there a way, as you said, that you think technology and, and communications can be a unifying force? We've talked a lot about how there are wedges between us But I was one of those people uh, in the 90s, as you described, who thought, oh, technology is going to be a way that we can really uh, overcome barriers and get closer. And some of that happened without a doubt. Some of that happened. But by the same time, by the same token, it it did amplify some of the divisions. So tell me how in your perfect world, 
you could see technology, telecommunications, better access, et cetera, leading to more unity. As well, you know, to that's interesting because this is kind of part of my book, right? And my book is really this conversation around how the digital divide has uh, not necessarily grown, but fortunately we have more people who have access, but it's actually, you know, sort of matured in a period where we have more tech companies that have afforded, you know, different, have like kind of, you know, generated different products and services that have either created jobs or created more efficiencies. I would suggest to you in the end of it, and, and hopefully this is a plug for people to get my book, because you know how it is, David, you saw the book, yeah, I talk about it all the time. But I would suggest to people like, unless technology in some way is crafted towards public good, the commercial output of it will always be a hit or miss when we talk about, you know, where is the quality of life benefit universally, right, for people. And so I suggest like, for example, what we're seeing right now with the Uber drivers and Uber company, I find it to be so fascinating because mm-hmm. and one token, it created a, an avenue of job development that we had not seen in the space. The gig economy certainly changed the way that we consume products, right? And it also kicked to the margins legacy industries. Now in the wake of this pandemic, we're now seeing um, you know, probably every other week three to 4,000 people laid off uh, who were independent contractors or had some utility at the company. And to me, that's interesting, right? Because what that suggests is we've got to figure out this balance where we not only look at technology for its commercial consumption, but we also pay attention to where it's assisting and sort of redirecting the provision of services or you know, finding ways to be much more effectual, right? When it comes to solving problems, which was to me, one of the basis of why tech was so widely adopted. It helped us to solve problems. <laughs> that we as individuals could not necessarily break the logjam of traditional practices. So I think going forward, what, what tech companies have done to date, I think has been very impressive in terms of lending their expertise on the software development side, uh, for hospitals on the cloud-based side, right? Um, in terms of infrastructure, I wrote recently around wiring, wiring school buses with Wi-Fi. So there's been a lot of tech companies that have actually mm-hmm. contributed to that process terms of infrastructure, hotspots, et cetera. But I'd like to see, honestly, sort of initiative when we come out of here, which is this tech for good. And tech for good from the standpoint of how do we place technology sort of at the epicenter for how we as a country manage some of these uh, national disasters as well as maintain our resiliency, right? And we move it not just from, you know, we, we sort of balance it between individual consumption to collective, um, you know, to collective uh, use in ways that I think will bolster, you know, how technology can be balanced in our lives. I can tell you this, right? What's been so interesting having two kids in my home is that my kids have been forced to go outside. <laughs> Let me say that again. Right. My daughter, literally the first like three weeks after she realized that she couldn't go anywhere, she went out to her soccer goal that mom bought six months ago to try to encourage her to be a professional athlete. And she literally started playing with it and said to me, this is fun, mom. How come I haven't come out here more often? Yeah. (laughs) You know, and the same. Well, this brings us, it brings us full circle because I started off by asking you, you know, is the online uh, educational experience the same? I think we're, we're all convinced it's not the same. 
But by the same token, this experience has led our children and ourselves to uh, take a different approach to life, to enjoy the outdoors, to uh, to find things, ways of engaging and, and entertaining ourselves that don't relate to, uh, um, you know, a, a screen as much. No, and I think no, that's not, not a bad I thing. Think I think but, it's a great thing. And I think that it's now at a state where we have to just balance these, these overlaps of our analog and digital selves, right. In ways that are productive, you know, that's right. what I think, you know, so you have to, it's, I agree with you. I was telling a reporter, I almost feel like, in some respects, as horrific as this time has been, horrible, but it's also been a time for us to appreciate our loved ones and appreciate our spaces, right? I don't know about appreciating our time because I don't know about you, but more people are imposing on my time, right? With all these um, Zoom calls. I'm okay with a conference call, but I think I've never had more face-to-face meetings in like three months <laughs> just because of video, right? Um, <laughs> but I think, you know, this is like, a, I, I agree with you. This is probably an opportunity for course correction. And course correction, I think, needs to come out of the reactive stage to something that's much more proactive and much more comprehensive going forward. Nicole Turner Lee, what's the name uh, of your forthcoming book? It is book again? drum roll, please. <laughs> Brrr, Digitally invisible: bam. How the Internet is Creating the New Underclass, and it's um a story of a seven-city trip. Uh, I took a national tour last year to talk to local people around their internet access, and so I'm excited to bring both their stories as well as policies, uh, some critiquing old ones, and actually I'm providing some new ones that can help us move beyond these digital divides the way we knew them before. So I'm really excited. It'll come out in uh, January 2021 through Brookings Press, fingers crossed. But uh, encourage us, you know, I can't wait to come back and talk about it. David, you are always my favorite person. You know that. Oh, you're so sweet. Well, listen, Dr. Nicole Turner-Lee of the Brookings Institution, I really appreciate you coming on to the Good Friend Group podcast. And I just appreciate you generally. You are really a star. And it's uh, always a pleasure to talk to you and to work with you. I look forward I to know. the time we can have lunch I know. It might be one of those things that um, our masks may obstruct our mouths, but you and I talk a lot. And so we'll get our <laughs> message across because we just know how to do that, okay? <laughs> I look forward to it, Thanks for Nicole. having me, David. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Take care. A final statement from Noah Goodfriend about what it's been like to go to school during the COVID crisis. Go. Um, it's been awful, honestly. It's been really annoying. Um, some of my best friends are in a different class, so I can't talk to them, and that is really annoying. I can, like, text some of my friends, but it's not like even going into Google Classroom and going on to Google Meet, which sucks. I'd rather do Zoom, but um, my teachers couldn't do that. The school kind of banned it, but um, I miss all my friends, and um, some of my friends don't have Google, some of my friends, not Google Meet, I mean, some of my friends don't have Messenger, Kids Messenger, so I can only talk to one of my best friends through Kids Messenger, and um, yeah, the rest I'm texting, and I can barely even remember what they look like, like, sure I have their picture, but people can change in a while, so...
My conversation with Noah and Nicole today reminds me of that quote that says, one book, one pen, one child, and one teacher can change the world. But as a parent of two college-age kids who've had to go through online learning, as an adjunct professor who had to teach a course this semester uh, online, it's a heartwarming reminder for me of the value of education. Unfortunately, today, given all those experiences, a laptop and broadband connection need to be added to the list, along with a pencil and a child and a teacher. And I hope that in these next COVID relief packages, whatever comes out of Congress, and hopefully something will come out of Congress, our lawmakers realize all of that and prioritize bridging the digital divide and making education a priority. Thanks again to my young nephew, no good friend, and to my longtime friend, Dr. Nicole Turner-Lee, for speaking with me today. You've been listening to the Good Friend Group podcast. Special thanks to my colleagues, Brian Hess and Megan Sun. Please subscribe to the Good Friend Group podcast and share with family and friends. I'm David Goodfriend. See you next time. Thanks. Hello, Al. Hey. Hey, thanks for joining me. Sure. Let me try to get you louder. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think you're loud enough now. You you may be the first person in my life who's ever asked me to be louder. This is a good thing. Well, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know if, if my <laughs> earbuds aren't great or uh, what it is, but I can hear you. But you're here. You're here. Yeah. Well, hello, Al. Hey. Hey, thanks for joining me. Sure. Let me try to get you louder. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think you're loud enough now. You you may be the first person in my life who's ever asked me to be louder. This is a good thing. Well, yeah. I just, uh, I don't know if, if my <laughs> earbuds aren't great or uh, what it is, but I can hear you. But you're here. You're here. Yeah. Well, hello, Al. Hey. Hey, thanks for joining me. Sure. Let me try to get you louder. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think you're loud enough now. You you may be the first person in my life who's ever asked me to be louder. This is a good thing. Well, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know if, if my <laughs> earbuds aren't great or uh, what it is, but I can hear you. But you're here. You're here. Yeah. Well, hello, Al. Hey. Hey, thanks for joining me. Sure. Let me try to get you louder. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think you're loud enough now. You you may be the first person in my life who's ever asked me to be louder. This is a good thing. Well, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know if, if my <laughs> earbuds aren't great or uh, what it is, but I can hear you. But you're here. You're here. Yeah. Well, Hello, Al. Hey. Hey, thanks for joining me. Sure. Let me try to get you louder. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think you're loud enough now. You you may be the first person in my life who's ever asked me to be louder. This is a good thing. Well, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know if, if my <laughs> earbuds aren't great or uh, what it is, but 
I can hear you. But you're here. You're here. Yeah. Well, 